0: This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.
1: So now we come to the part of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaching us how we are to relate to God. How we're to understand God when we come in prayer. And all of a sudden now we're told, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's hard. There's not a person in the room that doesn't have somebody that they would like to take behind the woodshed and just, in the name of Jesus...
0: Today, today, today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. My name is Bill. Thanks for joining me. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and in this episode, we have another message in the series on the Lord's Prayer. Last time we started our journey through the sections of the Lord's Prayer, carefully looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this message, Pastor Jeff is giving us an overview of the second half of the Lord's Prayer and the meaning behind, forgive us our debts. Let's join Pastor Jeff now to hear his message and see what we can apply to our lives today.
1: I have this friend that I've been getting to know uh, over the past probably six to eight months. Okay, maybe a little longer. Actually, he's a guy that is trying to make it on the professional golf tour, and so my friend in Palm Springs has him come down to play against me periodically, and the reason is because this golf pro who's teaching him is trying to teach him that if he can't beat Pastor Jeff, he might as well give up <laughs> going on the PGA Tour. Of course, with me, I have nothing to lose, so I'm very loose, and you know how that if you're a golfer and you got nothing to lose, man, and you're, the more loose you are, the better you're going to play. And so I've also learned a lot about my friend. His uh, his father is a pastor that travels all around the world talking about the end times, and uh, that's another sermon sometime. And uh, he's been a Christian and actually went to Bible college and seminary and uh, had a had a first marriage. He married the daughter of a preacher, and it didn't work out very well. Sometimes it doesn't work out. And after about a year, they divorced, and they did have a child together, however, so there's that tension in the family. Uh, he waited a while, uh, dated a few people, and now he's got another girlfriend, uh, and he's been dating her, and he felt the freedom to open up to me and say, Pastor Jeff, I, I'd like to talk to you about something, and I said, oh boy, here it comes. He said, I, uh, th- I, I need help. I need prayer because there's a lot of tension between my ex-wife and my present girlfriend, you know, over my, our daughter, and it's just not going well, and I spend most of my days just arguing, and there's fighting, and there's turmoil. And I said, okay, you, you've asked me. Uh, okay, I'm gonna help, but I have to ask you a question first. Are you sleeping with this girl you're not married to? He said, yes. I said, okay. Now, let me just stop right here for a moment, because I'm always afraid we have visitors and they're misunderstanding. There's no people, there are nobody, there's nobody in this room that's not a sinner. You, you understand, right? If you came looking for the perfect church where everybody does everything right, you're in the wrong place, okay? But there is a a matter of your will, your intent. And so I simply asked him the question, are you sleeping with this girl? He said, yes. I said, when you do, are you feeling any guilt? He said, yes, some. I said, are you feeling enough guilt to stop? He said, no. I said, okay, just let me get this straight. I just want to understand. You want me to go to God and pray that he would heal This relationship turmoil between your ex-wife and your present girlfriend, but you want to blatantly dishonor God in the way you're behaving toward this girl you're dating. Is that what I'm hearing? This golf professional put his tee ball, it was a par three, and shanked the tee shot. If you're not a golfer, shank means you almost miss it. Professional golfers don't do that. He was that unsettled, but he didn't want to talk about it after that. Now, the reason I start with that is here's what we believe in this church. First of all, again, we're all sinners. But we also believe that God is a loving, heavenly Father. That we don't relate to him as an employee would an employer. We relate to him as a child would to his dad. And this Father loves us so much that he gives us parameters... And he has the right to do that because he knows how best we should live to give us the best possible life. Just like when a father says to his little boy, don't play in the middle of the road. He doesn't do it to be the big, bad, cosmic boss. He does it so his kid won't get hit by a car. So God says, this is the way I've designed the world. And if you live within these parameters, you're going to have a good life. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have problems. And by the way, sometimes people see Christians and think, you bunch of Christians, man, I can't be part of you because you look happy all the time. Okay, two things. Number one, we're not happy all the time. We're We're not. Now, we're happy for an hour and a half on the weekends because this reminds us of who we are and where we're headed. But if you catch us during the week, we're just like anybody else. If something bad happens, we get sad, and we don't always express faith, and we struggle with God just like everybody else. But we do believe that God, God's law is life because as the creator, sustainer of everything, he knows how he made us, how we're wired, how we're designed. We violate the design disintegration sets in. So we try our best and we use our will to live as God designed. Now, if, if I'm a person who has no will or desire to live as God calls me to live, then Jesus would have you look at your life and say, perhaps you've never really had a Jesus revelation. Perhaps you've never really been saved. You're just kind of playing a game. Because if the spirit of God comes on the inside of you, he's going to give you a heart and passion that is similar to the heart and passion of the Father, and you're at least going to want to do the right thing. I didn't say you're going to do it all the time, but there's a part of you that when you don't, there's going to be some guilt, right? There's going to be, and sorrow. And if that's not there, you're just playing a game. If you're able to do whatever you want to do with no regret, no shame, no guilt, you got a problem. It's a pretty big problem. It's an eternal one. And so now we come to the part of the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) And remember what we said about the Lord's Prayer. It's Jesus teaching us how we are to relate to God. God how we're to understand God when we come in prayer. And all of a sudden now we're told, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's hard. There's not a person in the room that doesn't have somebody that they would like to take behind the woodshed and just, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> no, everybody in this room. And so I come, to this, I come to the Lord's Prayer now, and I've got to preach on forgiveness. And the Bible says, literally, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And it's the only part of the Lord's Prayer that deserves or gains an an expansion. It's almost like Jesus says, by the way, in case you missed that one little line in between, give us this day our daily bread and deliver us from evil, let me remind you again, because after he recites the Lord's Prayer, he adds an addendum. Verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive your sins. So then I'm starting to think, wait a minute, I thought we're saved by grace through faith. This sounds like work salvation to me. It sounds like God is saying, if you forgive others, I'll forgive you. If you forgive others, you'll go to heaven. If you don't forgive others, you're going to go to torment. So I do the work of of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the science of Bible interpretation. It is a science. Some pastors do make it an art, but it is a science. It's a science. And so I go over to Matthew 18 where Jesus expounds on this thought of forgiveness and he tells a story. He says there's this, uh, there's this king of a kingdom and a slave comes to him because he's settling accounts. So evidently this, this king is a king of staggering generosity and he just loans out money to the slaves and servants who are poor and need a little help to make it through the next month. And evidently there's this one slave that has borrowed so much and the king calls him and says, look man, I've given you a lot and it's time to call the debt. The Bible actually says 10,000 talents. Now, do you know how much that is? All the taxes collect, collected in a given year in Judea and Samaria equal somewhere around 600 talents. All the taxes for a given year of thousands and thousands of people. And this guy owes the king 10,000 talents. not 600, 10,000. So he owes the king the gross national product of a small country for 10 years. <laughs> you with me? So... The servant says, I I, got to tell you, king, I don't have it. He says, all right, I'm going to throw you in jail and your family in jail. Your kids are going to work for me and you're going to work and you're going to pay the debt and then I'll release you. The servant gets on his knees and says, please don't do it. I'll pay you back, which is a big fat lie. There's no way in what he makes and his salary he's ever going to be able to play it back. He's buying for time. But the Bible says the king has mercy on him anyway. And he does three things. He says, go ahead, I forgive the debt. I'm going to let you go, and you're not going into prison. Now, this servant who's forgiven all this debt goes out and finds another servant who owes him lunch money, lunch money, you know, a couple of denarii. And he says, dude, you owe me. And he says, man, I can't pay you. Just give me some time. And he does need some time because he could pay him back. And he said, no. And he throws him into the prison to be tormented. Some other servants associated with the king and his kingdom see what goes on, and they come back. They say, king, you're not going to believe this. You know that servant who had an extravagant debt that you forgave? He went out and found another servant who owed him lunch money. The guy offered to pay it back. Boom. He said no way and threw him into prison. Now the king is mad. Not, no. who's the king? God. Who's the servant who's been forgiven? You and me, right? And then he calls him in. And in verse 33, he says, man, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? I mean, that's the natural response, right? In anger, his master, who's the master? God, handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then there's this expansion again, like we got in the Lord's prayer. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here we go again. Here's the punchline. If you don't forgive others, here's the idea. You and I have been forgiven this extravagant debt. Extravagant. We got no idea. God just said, look, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to free you. I'm going to absorb the cost of the cross. Now, it doesn't mean that God won't discipline you because the Bible says he disciplines those he loves. So if you do what my friend is doing, don't expect God to come down and honor you in an area where you're dishonoring him because God is not an enabling father. So there's still the father-child relationship. Oh, you'll get forgiveness and you'll go to heaven, okay. But you can wreak havoc on your life in the here and now by living outside those parameters. And so, we're told in the story that he takes the servant who doesn't forgive, then he throws him in prison. That's not forgiveness, that's justice. And so again, the idea is, is that, what, is that, is that the message the Bible teaches us? If we forgive others, God will forgive us, we'll go to heaven. If we don't forgive others, he won't forgive us and we'll go to torment. The answer is yes and no. Because in Matthew 25, that's a clincher to all of these stories. Jesus says at the end of time, there'll be sheep and goats. And the sheep, they're the ones that go into the joy. And they're the ones who gave water to those who were thirsty, gave food to those who were hungry, gave clothing to those who were naked, visited those in prison, took care of those who were sick. But then the king says something intriguing. In verse 45 of chapter 25 of Matthew, at the end of all these parables and stories, He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal torment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me translate that for you. Jesus is saying, if you fail to feed those who are hungry and give water to those who are thirsty and visit those in prison, take care of the sick, it proved, it proves you've never really accepted what I did for you. The fact you don't open your heart and give mercy to somebody that has offended you proved that you never really opened your heart to me. You were just looking for a loophole. and me get out of hell free card. You see what the Bible says? Jesus says, if you don't forgive your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your mother-in-law, and everyone else, if you don't, there is no better way to tell whether or not you have a relationship with God, then your willingness or unwillingness to forgive. God is the king of staggering generosity and mercy We are the servants. We have an insurmountable debt. Every time you're less than honest, every time you hold grudges, every time you speak an unkind word, every time you make cutting remarks, every time you share racist jokes, every time you commit a selfish act that wounds somebody, every time you entertain sexually impure thoughts, speech, actions, harbor judgmental attitudes, every time you mistreat your spouse, every time you gossip, every time you slander, every time you live self-aggrandizing lives, every time you root against the Dodgers, all those things are insurmountable debts that you have before God. Now think about it again. Why do you think I came up with that list? Where did I get that list of all those things I just mentioned? How do you, where do you think I got those? My wife has violated it. No, no. I, I have violated every single one of those. So you and I are like the first servant. He was forgiven an infinite debt. So he should have naturally been gracious to everybody else. Therefore, the gospel tells you that if you hold a grudge against someone and will not forgive them, at the very least, it shows you're lacking the power of the gospel in your life. And at the very most, it tells you you've never had Jesus come in in the first place. And worse, you will stay in jail, in torment, until you forgive. When you believe that somebody owes you a debt and you're not going to be able to live until they pay it, you will live a tortured, tormented life. And it's the reason... You're filled with anxiety and depression and anger because you're dying. There's a disintegration of your soul. There's a cancer, man, and you can't see it, but everybody around you can. You're a dead person walking. You're walking and living and breathing, but you're dead inside, man, and it comes up all the time. It dominates you, and the Bible tries to teach you it takes too much energy to enact revenge. It robs you of the joy of everyday living. Frederick Beecher says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is the most fun, (laughs) to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue bitter confrontations still to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel of the pain you are giving back to them. In many ways, is a feast fit for a king? The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down at this feast is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. There's no better sign of the real spiritual condition of your heart and where you're going eternally than whether or not you're a forgiving person. Okay, we got that out of the way. I know I should forgive. You know you should forgive. And yet it's still hard. (laughs) Can we just be honest? Anything I've said so far... Are you going to walk out and say, "You know, he's right. I'm going to forgive today"? No, you're not. You, you, you may say that, but about five hours later, you'll start thinking again. What are we going to do, man? What do you? We need you, and I need remedial help. Now, if you're in the audience and you have no desire or will to forgive, you've got a spiritual problem. That's another sermon. You need to come to the cross. But if you've been to the cross and there's a part of you and you just heard what I said, you know, he's right, man. He is so right. I've been forgiven so much. I want to forgive, but tell you the truth, Pastor Jeff, I don't know how. You don't know how deep this wound is. Here's the beauty of Matthew 18. God tells you how in one verse. I can't believe I did not see this. Again, that's why I love studying scripture, learning something new all the time. In one verse, verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go in one little sentence. So can I tell you how? You can, do, you can do it. This is doable. Can I tell you how? Number one, you take pity. You know what the Greek word means? It means your heart goes out to somebody else. What does that mean? It means that you identify with them. It means you do the eternal internal work of reminding yourself how much you really have in common with the person who offended you. That given the right set of circumstances, you might have done the same thing. Given their upbringing, given everything that they face faced that you don't know about, if you had to walk a mile in their shoes or maybe 20 years in their shoes, all of a sudden your heart goes out and you start to think, wait a minute, I'm not that different. When I was working in Savannah, Dave Algar, one of the pastors, asked me to go down and meet some of the homeless people who live under the bridge in Savannah. Up until that time, I thought homeless people were just lazy bums. I'm just being honest. Get a job, man. And then I go down and meet the homeless people. I met a corporate lawyer who had lost a big case and did not know how to deal with it. I met a Harvard graduate who went to medical school but lost somebody on the operating table, couldn't deal with it. I met a husband who had lost a wife and a child in a car accident. I met a young man who was sexually abused by his father. I met a basketball player who knew that he would not be able to go to school or university unless he got a scholarship. He worked really hard, but he just wasn't good enough. He didn't know how to deal with it. And as I talked to these people, I realized, that could be me. Any one of those could have been any of us. If all the things that happen to the other person happen in your life, there's a great possibility you may have ended up doing some of the same things. Taking pity means that your heart goes out to somebody. Somebody. And I wonder if the king looked at the servant and said, you know what, he's had a tough, pretty tough life and I know he's trying to get back on top. I'm gonna let my heart go out to him knowing that he's not a king. He doesn't have a kingdom like I do. I'm gonna give some mercy. My favorite, One of my favorite shows is Frasier. And on one of the episodes of Frasier, uh, there's an Italian restaurant in town and when you become a famous uh, person in Seattle, they, they post a cartoon kind of figure of you an impression of you on the wall. And Fraser's been waiting all of his life because he's a famous radio personality and of course he's incredibly eccentric. So the owner of the restaurant invites him down. Stefanos says, "We're going to put your photo on the wall, the wall of fame." Fraser invites Niles and his father and Daphne down. They're going to have this big celebration and then Stefanos unveils the photo and it makes Fraser's forehead look like it's just so big and Fraser hates it. He absolutely hates it. And he says, look, Niles, I look like a fugitive from Easter Island. (laughs) But the problem is that that's what cartoonists do, right? Cartoonists accentuate any feature that you have that make you you. So if you've got a big nose, that's going to stick out. A big, big ears, a big head, a big forehead, whatever it is. Now, here's the temptation when somebody's offended you. You tend to reduce the person to their most negative feature. Okay? So... I come to you, and I say, somebody offended you. I say, what? Well, what did they do? They, they lied to me, Pastor Jeff. I said, why do you think they lied to you? Because they're just a liar. <laughs> they're just a liar. And then I say, well, have you ever lied to anybody? And you say, well, yeah. Well, why did you lie? Well, there were extenuating circumstances. <laughs> I'm not happy that I did it. Uh, But, you know, I'm I'm three-dimensional here. I'm a person. There are nuances. What you don't say is, because I'm just a liar. (laughs) You with me? You reduce, she's just a liar. But you lied. Then aren't you just a liar? (laughs) Part of the whole thing of taking pity on somebody is your heart goes out to them and you realize, you know, I'm really not that different. And forgiveness flounders only because... Forgiveness flounders only because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. In other words, you forget that your enemy is human and you forget that you are a sinner. And you look at what the person did and suddenly you think, well, I'm different than they are. I always take the high road and I would have never done that. But if you stop and think and allow your heart to go out to them, you start to realize that you're really not that different. And given this wrong set of circumstances, you don't know what you would have done. I'm not saying that forgiveness will come. I'm saying that you can't even hope that it will come until you first begin with pity. The master took pity. His heart went out to the offender. And then the second thing you have to do is you got to do what the king did. You got to cancel the debt.
0: You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff.
1: I know I should forgive, you know you should forgive, and yet it's still hard. Can we just be honest? Anything I've said so far, are you gonna walk in and say, you know, he's right, I'm gonna forgive today. No, you're not. You, you, you may say that, but about five hours later, you'll start thinking again.
0: You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing with every single breath I bring. I will break this off. You are my wonder. You bring the wonder. Today. Today. Today.